Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Fantastic friends. Are you glad to be in church tonight? Yes, 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 yes. I've been looking forward to share the Word of God with you, and I've looked more forward to actually spend time with you and look you in the eye and greet you and touch you and be with you. That is what church is all about. So in a few moments time, I won't preach long. We're going to have some fellowship outside with ice cream and spring rolls and just good conversation. Yes. Fantastic. Are you ready to hear the word of God tonight to receive his word in your life? Let's pray together. Father, as we sit around your word, we we are so in awe and we are so humbled, Lord, because you come and you use normal human language to do a miracle in our hearts. And that is to bring life, to bring new life into our spirits and into our hearts. And tonight we pray as we break open the word, as we listen to the word, that you would come and minister directly to each one of us. We pray that in your name. Amen. Fantastic. Friends, we are in week three of our all uh, things new series. We all love new things. Amen. Anyone who is wearing a pair of new jeans tonight for the first time, just put up your hand quickly. We want to just appreciate you and celebrate with you. I mean, it stinks, but it's really amazing to wear it. Now it still has that jean smell. Anyone with a brand new pair of shoes tonight that you're wearing for the first time, just put up your hand. I know it's September, the budget is low, but I mean... Anyone? Anyone? No one? A new shirt maybe? Yeah, I haven't wore this thing in a very long time, so we can say it's new because it's the only flower that I have in my cupboard. But spring is here. Lacquer. We all like new things. And we are in week three speaking about what does it mean when God says in Revelation 21, I am making all things new. And tonight is actually, uh, we've been building up towards this night because we are speaking tonight about our generosity fund as a church where we say, as a church, we, ta- we make a sacrifice, we go out in faith and we trust God to sow into our city in different projects and to bring life in our city through what we have received. So at the end of tonight, we're going to again come before God as a church and say, Lord, we trust you for the next year to do miracles with a little bit that we have in our hands. So you can look forward to what we are about to share. But first, let's start like this. There's a medical condition called hemanopia. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but um, all the doctors are like, yes, eyes. It, it sounds a bit like there's hemorrhoids in your eye, but it's hemanopia, okay? And what does that mean? It means that a part of your visual world is actually blacked out on both of your eyes. So for a person with hemanopia, that is um, what it looks like when you, if you have that condition, probably you only see a fourth of the screen right now. (laughs) God helps you. Okay. I'm a full person. Okay. (laughs) The crazy thing is, what happens when we have spiritual hemanopia, where we only see a small fragment of the picture of what God intended for us to see. What happens to a Christian's life if you don't see the full gospel? 
the full picture of what God is busy with. Thank the Lord for the Word of God because we see the full picture from Genesis right through to Revelation. And what we said a few weeks back is we started the series by saying there are four chapters in the Gospel. We spoke about creation, that God created everything good. Then we spoke about the fall, that man removed himself from the rulership of God and all of mankind and creation was submitted again to chaos and death. Then chapter three came along. Jesus was the one that was again obedient to God and submitted himself under the kingship and the lordship of God. And we were restored much more in him. And then chapter four says there's a time, there will be coming a time of restoration, where God will make all things new. And we find ourselves in the middle of chapter four at this moment. But sometimes as Christians, we can get stuck in chapter three and chapter, uh, chapter two and chapter three. We only see half of the picture. And what happens when, when we only see a fragment of truth? Something like this will become part of your life. You would say, I am just saved by grace and now I'm waiting for heaven. Any sermons like that? Have you heard them before? Or you would say that this world is bad. Everything is going south on planet earth and one day God will come and burn this place, take us up from here to some ethereal like cloudy space where we'll play hops and just enjoy, I, know, I don't know what, you know, mindlessness. And we're just waiting to get out of this bad space. Or you might be saying that I am so bad and my whole Christian walk is just about this one thing, to get rid of the darkness in me, to get rid of the sin in me. Friend, you have spiritual hermanopia. You only see half of hermanopia. Hermanopia. Woo. Okay, that escalated quickly. Okay, that's why I'm not a doctor. You have spiritual hemonopia because God is saying, I am making all things new. What does that mean? Tim Keller said it so beautiful. He says, Jesus' power is not just to save us out of the world, but to heal the world. Every miracle that Jesus did on this earth was a moment to establish this truth. That there was a time when, when Jesus did the feeding miracles, there was a time back in creation when no one was hungry. And there will be coming a time when no one will be hungry. When Jesus did the healing miracles, He's saying that there was a time when no one was sick, broken, and going through suffering. And there will be coming a time when no one will be sick, broken, and go through suffering. When Jesus did the nature miracles, He's saying that there was a time where creation was in perfect harmony with man and with God. And one day again, there will be a moment where creation will be in harmony with His Creator and with man. And then we understand what this means, that God is making all things new. He's putting it back together. You see, he's not saying I'm making all new things. He's not saying he's going to destroy the earth and start over. He's actually saying I'm using the brokenness that you experience every single day of your life to birth, give birth to a great masterpiece. I researched a few artists and the first one is Jane Perkins who actually takes 
broken jewelry and broken toys, the things that we throw away as parents and as ladies and men, the jewelry that you throw away, she takes that and she recreates it, recycles it and recreates it into something brand spanking new. Another guy by the name of Derek Gores, exactly he does the same thing, but with magazines that are thrown away. He takes them, recycles them, and uses it in his art gallery to express the beauty of what is inside of him. That is exactly what God is busy with in this moment. He's not gonna throw away the jewelry and the magazines. He's gonna use it to make something new with your life. And it always starts with an individual. It starts with you. God wants to make you new. He wants to take you from the ashes, from death, from darkness, bring you into the light. He wants you to shine like the stars, Paul says. And then it not only just starts with you, but it circles out to your neighbors, to the people that are closest to you, to your family, to your friends, to your people that live in your room, the co-livers that live with you, if I can use that word again. It's becoming a thing in my life now. I use it. It's very biblical, the co-livers. But it does not stop there. It actually spreads from there to the rest of society, to the city that you are placed in. God wants His flavor, His glory to shine, not only in your life, not only in your neighbor's life, but in the city. And that is where we are going tonight. So last week, Aiden did so brilliantly explain that Jesus started all of his miracles and his teaching. He started on the Jewish side, in Jewish cities. And then in Mark chapter four, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side on a boat. There they went. The disciples were obviously not happy because they were Jews. And what was on the other side? The Decapolis, the 10 cities of the Greeks, the seven nations of Canaan, the pork-eating, ball-worshipping, kids-slaughtering people. Yes, that was, <laughs> I didn't even write that down. What happened? It's, yeah, it's obviously anointing with God's Spirit because I don't have the capacity <laughs> to remember that. They were Greek. They were, they were other than the Jews. And the, the disciples must have thought to themselves, there's no way that we're going to go to the other side. We don't mingle with those people. They smell like bacon. <laughs> then eventually they actually go to the other side and there was a storm awaiting them on the lake. And they th must have thought to themselves, well, this is a sign we shouldn't go to the other side. Jesus calms the storm. Then we think, well, Jesus must have had an incredible ceremony of welcome on the other side. You know, a group of rabbis or spiritual leaders that welcomes him to Decapolis. And what do we find? A demon-possessed man. <laughs> the Bible says he was throwing rocks at himself and shouting and no one could bind him. He, he had chains around him, but he broke loose of the chains. Well, that is incredible welcome. Jesus, Son of God, welcome. Here's your uh, guy that welcomes you in the foyer. No one would come back if we've got such a guy in the foyer. <laughs> what happened to this guy? Jesus touches him. 
It says then, when this man saw Jesus, he ran towards him, fell at his feet and cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus delivered him from the demons and he sent the demons into a herd of pigs, 2,000 to be exact, and they committed suicide in the ocean. So Enterprise and Escort's price went a bit down, the, the stocks, they were out of bacon. So the people of Decapolis asked Jesus to please leave Decapolis and never return. And Jesus, the kind gentleman that he is, respected that request. He climbed into his boat, but this deranged, demon-possessed guy, listen to this, Mark chapter 5, verse 18, said the following, It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What happened here? Jesus was returning to the, to the Jewish shite, shite. He left the demon-possessed man there and said to him, go to your friends, go to your neighbors, go to your city and explain to them what happened to you. You see, Jesus had the whole 10 cities in mind. He chose one man, a demon-possessed guy. What's your excuse? Anyone demon-possessed lately? (laughs) Probably not. Then you are qualified. Even him, he was qualified to bring the gospel, to bring the good news of Jesus to a very ungodly society. What happens? Jesus goes back to the Jewish side. He he does the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And afterwards, he's sending his disciples back back again to Decapolis. I mean, these guys had a fright the first time with the storm and the demon-possessed man, and now he's sending them back again. He says, guess what, guys? We're going again. I mean, they saw the miracle of the storm. They saw the miracle of the guy getting free, but now they're again not sure how this is going to work. But then Jesus catches them and he says, now this time around, you're going alone. I'm not going with you. Again, a storm comes. Guys obviously think to themselves, let's not go to the other side. Let's just stay on the Jewish side. But Jesus comes walking on the water like it's a normal thing to do and says to them, well, welcome. Peter gets so excited, he jumps out and says, Lord, can I also walk on the water? He walks for a bit, sinks, scuba, (laughs) comes up. You You know, that was a moment of faith for him. And then they go to the other side and listen to what happened here. Mark chapter 6, verse 54 to 56. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to where they heard he was. And wherever he went, into the villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. Now the hospitals are empty. They're bringing the sick to McDonald's. 
The COVID people, the cancer people, the TV people, everyone is there. <laughs> Listen to this. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. What is happening here? The ministry of the Decapolis started with one demon-possessed guy. He went back and witnessed to a whole bunch of people. And now when Jesus came to them again, they recognize him. You were the man that set that guy free. Well, if that is possible, let's bring all of our sick friends and our mothers-in-law and everyone to you to deliver them as well <laughs> and heal them, God. And my friend with that bad attitude, Lord Jesus, I lay him at your feet. <laughs> what an incredible story. It all started with one guy. Now a whole society has been touched by this message of Jesus through one person. What happens next? Mark chapter 8. Again, Jesus, this is one of the only miracles that Jesus actually duplicates. It's the feeding of the 5,000 on the Jewish side. And now he duplicates this miracle on the Decapolis side, the feeding of the 4,000 people. What was happening here? So all of these people heard of Jesus. They had been healed by him. And now Jesus is preaching to them. They came flocking to him to hear his words. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 8 that Jesus preached for three days. Don't moan about one half an hour that we go over on a, a Sunday evening. I'm just joking. <laughs> you can relax. Jesus has been preaching for three days. His disciples come to him and say, Lord, I think the people are getting a bit hangry. <laughs> can we help them out? And Jesus, it says so beautifully in Mark chapter 8. Jesus had compassion on them. You see, friend, what is your first response when you see the brokenness in your class? When you see the lostness in your family, in the city? What's your first response? Is it still compassion? Or do you have what we call compassion fatigue a bit? Like you're irritated with the pain and the brokenness that you see around you. You see, Jesus had compassion. He was brokenhearted for the people that he saw that was far from him and that were, that were experiencing rejection and pain. And he said the following to his disciples. He said, go and find these people something to eat. And they say, how will we get something for 4,000 people to eat? And then they use these words, in this God-forsaken place. <laughs> How many times have you thought of Bloom <laughs> as that? Be, be honest. I mean, we're among friends. How can God use me in this place? I was supposed to be in Stellenbosch. <laughs> sure. What happens here? Obviously, the disciples now, they got a bit of, uh, you know, street, so they were streetwise a bit, so they, streetwise, not with the KFC side, but you'll see now, they were, they were sharp, so they, they learned their lesson on the other side, on the Jewish side, 
So now when Jesus asked them, what do you have? Seven loaves. Because on that side, they had to go and find something and they, they find a little boy and obviously took his lunch very gently from him. <laughs> on this side, they already got the boy. They've got seven loaves now. And the Bible says a lot of fish. So they are prepared. They say, Jesus, this is what we have. <laughs> Jesus prays over it, give it back to them. And it multiplies in their hands, not in Jesus' hands, in their hands. As they broke the bread, it multiplied. The miracle happened in their hands with what they had. Now you have to understand, bread and fish was not like the, the meal that the kings would actually enjoy. No, it was the food that everyone had in their lunchboxes every day. It's like peanut butter, broik, two broikies today. It's like peanut butter sandwiches. I mean, it's, well, if you can't afford that, what can you afford then? Let's downscale. Two-minute noodles. Okay. It was the two-minute noodles of that time. <laughs> they had it in their hands. The normal stuff that people eat, and it multiplied to feed 4,000 people. And the Bible says the people ate and they were satisfied. You see, what was the solution to the spiritual lostness and brokenness of the capitalists? What was the solution? One guy that started a movement and disciples that engaged this mission of Jesus by giving what they have in their hands to the needy and the poor and the hungry and it is multiplying throughout a whole region. That was the solution. Jesus is asking you and me the same very question tonight. What do you have in your hands? He's not asking, what do you want? And what do you think if you have this, then I can engage the pain and the brokenness in my city. No, he's asking, what do you have in your hands? What is the bread and the fish that you have right now? Time. Talents, treasures, all of us, we've got that. Jesus is saying, what you have now is enough. To bring it to me and see how I use that small amount of yours to feed 4,000 people. The bread obviously speaks about, you know, what you have for each day to survive. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus is saying, Our Father who art in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Meaning, God, I am dependent on you every single day to survive and to live emotionally, physically, spiritually. And God gives something to you to sustain you. That is exactly what He gives you to use in His kingdom. Whatever you have, fish, Jesus says, I'm making you a fisher of men. He's calling you to partake in his mission on earth. Jesus is not going to do it on all by himself. He asks of you and me to join him in this mission. It multiplies in our hands. But here's the crazy, crazy thing. And it was only this week that I've discovered this incredible truth. You see, on the Jewish side, 5,000 people were fed. And how many baskets was left over? 12. Why? 
it speaks of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is making a statement to say, I am the bread of life and I am enough to feed the 12 tribes of Israel with myself so that they can be satisfied spiritually. What happens on the other side, the Decapolis side? How many baskets was left there? Seven. For the seven nations of Canaan. Jesus is saying, I'm not only reaching and filling the Jews, I'm also reaching and filling the Gentiles. Now, if I use the word Gentile, it seems like they live in a place called Genta. No, it's people that were not part of God's chosen race, God's chosen people. And by the way, all of us, we are part of that group. Hallelujah. Except if you're a Jew tonight. Any Jews? Don't buy a pork burrito at... No, I'm just joking. <laughs> All of us are part of that group of people, Gentiles, people that were not initially part of God's plan. But now Jesus is making a statement here in Decapolis saying that I did not only come for my own people, I came for everyone. Do you know that that is a prophecy that has been fulfilled right there out of Isaiah 49? God is speaking over Jesus 400 years before he would come. It says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, the other people, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thank the Lord for Mark chapter 8. Because we're included in that. Now we're part of God's people. Jesus make a statement. You are part of my inner group. I want you to be my people. But here's the crazy thing. What happens here? On the Jewish side, 12 baskets was left over. And the Bible uses this Greek word, kofonos. It means a small lunch-sized basket. A normal lunch basket. But on the other side, the capitalist side, Jesus uses this word, spuris, which means a woven reed, man-sized basket that a whole man can fit into that basket. It speaks of what happened in Acts chapter 9 when Paul was escaping from Damascus. They lowered him in one of these man-sized baskets. What is the significance here, friends? You see, if you receive God's call to be part of His mission in your comfortable space, God will definitely provide. A miracle will take, happen, uh, will take place, take happen. But the abundance of that moment would be 12 lunch-sized baskets. It's still a miracle but it's a small miracle. You see, the moment you decide to leave your comfort, to go to the other side, what happens? God provides man-sized, abundantly more than enough. You can stay where you are 
and obey God there. The provision for your ministry will be small and it will be enough for that environment. But when you choose to leave your comfort, oh man, God would lavish you with resources. He would lavish you with abundant anointing to bring his freedom, to bring his love to the people in need. Friends, in our city, we see the lostness of people. We are confronted with it every single day. It might be people that you're not comfortable with. It might be people that you're not necessarily, you know, connect to out of your own, you know, passion. But you see the lostness. You see that people worship other gods. They are busy with things that, you know, hurt them. They bring pain to them. They make bad decisions in life. The systems of our city is broken. They are broken to the core. We see it every single day and we live outside of God, God's best. This all things new reality in our city every single day. What is the solution to that? Should we just throw this city away? Throw this planet just right off this nation? South Africa, here we go. You know, we're going down the pipes. Church, let's all move to other places in the world where it's going better. Jesus is saying over our country, he's saying over this city, he's saying over your neighborhood and your classroom, I am making all things new and I'm just looking for a demon-possessed person. That's like the standard of what Jesus, Jesus would settle for. That would bring life. That would bring faith. That would bring love. That would bring hope to a broken people. And Jesus is not saying go and study a theology degree. Go and work yourselves, you know, to pieces to, you know, quit all of it and join the church. No, he's saying, what do you have in your hand? Bread and fish. You have gifts. You have time. You have treasures. Put it to use to see the miracle of multiplication happen through an insignificant person like yourself and myself. Why would God use me? I have no qualification. I have nothing to boast in. All I can boast about is that God saved me. He made me free from darkness. He brought me out of the pit of brokenness. He placed me on a rock, Jesus Christ. And now I want my life to shine for Him, to bring glory unto Him. God, use this broken vessel to bring glory to your name. That's all we have, friends. You as well. Now in Doxodeo, we, you know it by now, I hope. <laughs> we don't only dream about building a church. We dream about a city. If you ask anyone on our full-time team, you would hear this. We're not here to pastor a church. We're here to pastor a city. We are a fathering presence in our city. Doxodeo is not the only solution to Bloemfontein's problems. We are just part of the solution. We play a role in the restoration of God in our city. 
as he makes all things new. About 10 years ago, we started with what we call now the Generosity Fund. And don't worry for all the language freaks out there. We didn't spell it wrong. It's supposed to look like that, city. Because we believe, like John 4 says, if you knew the generosity of God, you would ask him for living water. We believe that we serve a generous God. He wants to share of himself. And we believe that we are made in his image as a church and we carry that DNA and that passion to bring forth generosity into our city. So 10 years ago, we trusted God. 10 years ago, we trusted God for the first generosity fund. We took it to the church. We said, we have this crazy vision. We wanna go outside of the walls of this building and bring the church to the people. But obviously we need funding for that. It's not possible if there are rands in the bank <laughs> because we had a vision. We wanted school workers in schools, permanently in schools, to be at the service of the school so that they can bring the glory of God there and be a servant in that school to start the ministry of the good news of Jesus there. We started with a whole bunch of outreach programs in the city where we fed the hungry, we fed the poor. We started to build relationships with life-giving organizations and we wanted to bless them. You know what happened that first year? <laughs> we thought to ourselves, it's crazy. We're gonna bring what we have before God. And that first year, we had promises of over 350,000 rand in one year. So now we are 10 years down the road. After 10 years in the COVID season, friends, this church, and we're not the only part of this church, we are part of three campuses in our city, Central Campus, North Campus, Fijar Park with morning services, evening services. Our city came together in the year of COVID and promised over 1.6 million rand to sow into the city. Of the 10 years now, we've got 16 schools that we are serving in. We've got a tree team that's permanently on staff that only works into the brokenness in education. We've got a pop-up that brings people from the street that goes through life, life skills and training them skills to actually help them find a job and, you know, recapture some of the life that God intended for them. We've got a facility, I can take you there to see, we've, we've shared the stories of people that went through it. Last year, we, we saw over 120 people got jobs. This year, we're standing at about 50 people that got jobs out of that process. We can thank God for that. I'm excited, I, I can see the excitement in your heart. <laughs> a, a few years back, we, we took over a baby house that takes babies that are left at the dump site and at the hospitals and that we give them a safe space so that they can start their life not on a failure but in the safety of love and care. We've got Alpha running to help people to just take that step closer to faith in Christ. We've got the Life Center in this church where we we serve our city with people that are mentally ill, people that are going through tough times in their life to come and receive professional and spiritual guidance and encouragement free of charge. 
We, ha- we happen to run the street store every year, every year. We've got leadership programs in our city. We've got a fraternal f- full of pastors and dominies in the city that come together every single quarter of the year to celebrate what God is doing. There are so many things that were birthed out of this family in the last 10 years. We've got so much to be thankful for. And as I'm standing here tonight again before you, let me just tell you, I don't like this, okay? To speak about money. It's really not comfortable for me. I'm not excited about this, okay? It's like I've been waiting every minute to actually speak to you about finances in our church. But it's so pivotal to what God is doing. So we have to, we have to bring it before the family. Here's the crazy thing, friends. So up until now, we've only trusted God for Bloom. Bloom pop-up, Bloom schools, Bloom baby house. But next year, as a leadership, we felt that we want to go to the other side as well. We want to take the abundance of what God has placed in this church, in this city, and serve another city with it. God has placed Durban on our hearts. Yeah, and obviously the ocean helps. But in partnership with a bigger Doxodeo family, and we're not going to endeavor it alone, we are in partnership with a family that dreams with us. We, as a Doxodeo Bloom Church, are going to take responsibility next year to plant a new church in Durban. Maybe you're saying, as I say say this, put me in the Durban box. I want to go. You can speak to me afterwards. But as a leadership, we know that to do something like that over and above all of the other stuff that we are doing, we need to put down a number for ourselves to say, we trust God for this, to make it work. And even as I'm going to say it, I'm a bit nervous to say it, but (laughs) I have faith in my heart that we are going to trust God as a city, three campuses together, for two million rand next year. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing, friend. You might, I'm, Donnie always does this, and I'm going to do it again. If you are sitting here and you have the two million, please come to the front <laughs> so that I can stop and go and sit and we can worship Jesus again. Anyone like that? I believe one year we will have someone like that. <laughs> But do you know if we have 480 people in this city, and just to say, in our Come As You Are series, as a Doxadeo family in Bloom, we had over 2,300 people come together on that specific Sunday. So it's possible to get 480 people that gives 350 rand a month. We have over and above 2 million. That's crazy if you break it down like that. You might say, okay, Eugene, you're obviously overshooting because I don't have like a barracuda in my hands with fish and bread. I only have a little small, um, uh, you know, goldfish. I can bring that to the table. That's enough. It's not about the amount, friends. It's about the faith. It's about what's in your heart. The moment we speak about finances, it touches very deep in who we are. It's an expression of our faith. It's an expression of who we are. 
God wants to say, come, trust me with that. So that you can see the fruit of my kingdom come through your life. Before we do anything else, I want you to take a moment. Maybe the team, uh, worship team can join me. I want you to take a moment and just ask God, Lord, what, if, what, did you, what do I have in my hands that I can serve your dream with? You'll see here on my right, we'll take that now and put it here in the front. We've got a cityscape of bloom. And we've got the words faith for a city written on it. All over the auditorium, you'll see these stations with colorful papers and print glue. And we would love for you to take a moment, spend it with God and say, Lord, what did you place in my hand? What is the role that I need to play in this city? And as you have a conversation with God about that, won't you say, Lord, come and fill me with faith. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.